This is TJ Morris, and you're listening to ET Radio. This is American Communications Online, and tonight we're presenting The Opened Walk with Bill M. Tracer, myself, and Ken Johnston, aerospace engineer, may drop by and promote NASA and space for us. So we look forward to that, all that that entails. Uh, but in the meantime, we're going to talk to author Bill M. Tracer. What will lead to the opened walk? Bill's written a book on this, and we're going to be sharing this tonight with the Ascension Center Club and Authors Book Club. Let's get him on here. Hi, Bill. Hey, TJ. How are you tonight? How are you tonight? <laughs> I'm great. How are you? I'm okay. Hey, uh, my any day David, I'm... Uh, what? Go ahead. Go ahead. My, friend, my friend David <laughs> is here. He's actually right now leaving, and I'm letting him out the door. Oh, I want to say hi. Hey, TJ. Hi, How are David. you doing? Good to hear oh, from you. Oh, great. You too. I miss you. I miss you too. Are you going? Are you going to the Mid South Con this year, David? I I plan to. I hope you can come up for it. Oh, that's so sweet. I didn't put in for anything. It's a little too late for me now, but maybe next year I'll be ready. But thank Excellent. you for inviting me. Yeah, they they invite me every year to panel or speaker or moderator. That's so sweet. I just didn't get my paper in by November. So uh, we had a wonderful anyway, but I'll look into You did. We had a wonderful we did, time didn't we? You up here. Yeah. Oh, okay. you're so sweet. Well, I look forward to maybe, I don't know, I, we'll see how what happens. I'm, I'm Really, really did enjoy my time in Memphis at the Memphis Hilton. Well, David, come back sometime and join Bill on his show this Saturday night. With this is Authors Club, so you can come and tell me what y'all are doing at your meeting. I would love to. After Thank the- you so much, PJ. You bet. Well, love and light. Yeah. I will talk to you uh, hopefully after the first of the year. Happy holidays. Happy holidays to you too. Thank yeah. you. We'll work out a time for David to be on the show uh, at a future Saturday. Right now, he's got to get back home. He's got chores and such. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can tell him he can look this up on ACO American Communications right. Online on YouTube mm-hmm. now that you know where to find it. It's up. Yeah, yeah I'll let him know about you that. You had to tell me how to find it. Yeah, you had yeah. to tell me about it. <laughs> Where we were going, uh, uh, there's so much going on through uh, the company now that I don't even know how to keep up with everything and all the back roads. So uh, I was working with Janet today, and uh, she's working on some things, and uh, I'm working on things, and we try to learn and help each other in inside uh, the cyberspace community. <laughs> so what all do you want to talk about today? Well, you were talking about the Writers' Organization, the Writers' Club. Uh, David and I were doing some writing this afternoon, and uh, <laughs> it was, I was looking at time, and I said, oh, my goodness, it's almost time. we gotta, we got to wrap this up. And uh, and we were both bemoaning the fact we were both so in the zone. But, you know, sometimes even when you're in the zone, you got to cut it off. You've got to come back and do some reality here. Well, good, because this will go up on YouTube. And now that we know we're going to be doing this, I just didn't have the skills 
folks. I had to learn how to do all this. There's a little bit of a learning curve to podcasting live radio mm-hmm. shows, and I've been doing it for six years, and I'm still learning. So uh, it's amazing. We're going out on FM radio, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, SoundCloud. Oh, there's so many places now. And uh, you can just know that we're doing the best we can to get the word out for our messages. And mm-hmm. Bill and I have been working on the Ascension Center Club, and then there's others out there. And uh, But he really has been with me since the inception almost just a few maybe missed me about six months so we're still working Mm -hmm. but it's the aco association and also we have the ufo association and then we have this now uh i'm in florida i've got a business called american communications online and then on sunday we have the universal life and that's through my Teresa j morris ministries so it just depends on what you want to look into but today uh how i was impressed with bill is he would help me with all the world religions and anthropology, and metaphysics, and spirituality, and the Mandela effect, and the 3D conscious. So he wound up being just a great, great host or co-host with me. So uh, you may want to see some things I put there in the description so it gives people sort of a heads up of what we're going to be talking about. But, uh, you know, what is fake news? Here's I'll put some questions on here we could go through. Uh, are, are world religions all important, or will they soon fade away as electronic data, which I know you would know? Will the Internet achieve sentience? What is the Mandela effect? We will, will we live to see more history of conspiracy theories? Because these are all things that, he's talk, that you've talked about mm-hmm. all these years and uh, years and years. And now that we're going to be on YouTube – now we'll get the word out better because I personally would rather sit and listen to it on my TV than uh, get on my computer and rest my neck. <laughs> so it goes on YouTube and with my computers and my TVs and my cell phones are all connected now. And I don't know if everybody else has that ability, but I know out in the country we don't get all that in, until there's a need or somebody shows you how. So there's still a lot of word of mouth, folks, and are you in a place where you can pick up the Internet? So uh, it's slow coming, but I've got my cell phone and my laptop and, you know, TVs and all that, cable. And uh, how about you, Bill? you got all yours all connected, everything that they're telling us to do these days, laptops and tablets and cell phones, TVs? I'm pretty connected, yeah. Um, pretty connected. Yeah, and um, anyway, you know, interesting. I was reading through your list of stuff for us to discuss tonight. Um, that question of um, world religions. One of the things I discovered as I was doing my comparative religion study, as part of the research for this book, The Open Walk, was that um, the number of religions in the world is steadily growing. Uh, currently more than 4,000 different religions worldwide. That, that includes a lot of the small ones, as well as the big major ones, and, and the various divisions of you know, the sects and the denominations, etc. Et so we have more than, more than 4,000, and that number is continuing to grow. In fact, I think it was something like more than 4,100, somewhere between 4,100 and 4,200. It may have even gone up over that by now because... It just keeps growing. The number of religions is steadily increasing. So, um, 
is not going away, <laughs> but it was some atheists, I believe. Uh, the actual number of atheists is, is uh, growing at a slower pace than the number of people who are getting involved in new religion. So, um, and, and the number of people who are going into this this kind of spiritual movement that we hear, we've heard this phrase bouncing around a long time, that idea of, well, I'm spiritual but not religious. And that, uh, you know, it's almost become hackney or kind of a cliche thing for a person to say now. But uh, but it certainly is still a growing movement. Um, that number, the number of people going in, moving in that direction into being spiritual without being religious is increasing more than the number of people coming to atheism. So um, that uh, that's an interesting trend itself, I think. Uh, so I think religion is something that's going to be around for a long time to come. Uh, increasingly, I think more people will continue what's happening now, moving away from what you would call the, the big ones, the, the, the traditional religions. Uh, more people are moving away uh, than ever before, but still, they're not moving into atheism as much as they're moving into this spiritual but not religious and these new religions that are kind of maybe that even encourage that concept of being spiritual without being religious as in the kind of ritual stuff. So um, that is obviously going to continue. Interestingly, uh, the story that David and I David and I do a lot of collaborative writing in, in the fiction realm, not in the non-fiction but more in the fiction realm and uh, we've been working on a science fiction story that that's 500 years in the future. And in, in the topic actually came up uh, in the story about uh, religions of the world, uh, the religions of that time period. And uh, and one of the characters points out that, uh, of course, in this story, it's in, set in the future when humanity is in has formed alliances with a variety of, of alien species. So... We're in tight with a bunch of aliens. It's a culture not unlike what we see depicted in Star Trek or even in Star Wars where you've got multiple races coexisting in a kind of galactic culture. And um, and so one of, one of the characters points out that humanity seems to have expanded the number of religions even more in the time since they started learning of the religions of, of various alien species. So and I think that's exactly what will happen when that time comes. We will be influenced by the religions, religious concepts and spiritual ideas of other beings. We'll share our ideas with them. They'll share their ideas with us. And, and we'll find the ones ideas are enriched by that. I, that's what I believe the future holds for that. What? But, is um, that going to be in your book? So you're taking... Uh... Characters, you're going to have a protagonist and all the generic ways of telling this to the human race here. Your yeah, even in our system, I think we can still deal with things that have a reality to it, you know, and, and we have real issues that we have our characters debating and that kind of stuff. And I think that's a good way to get the ideas across, uh, and it still be wonderful. Fiction can tell us as much about life as nonfiction. Right, 
if we do it right, you know. <laughs> and, and I hope that we do it right. We we we, we try. Um, so, <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I like your I like your your writing the future for us, mm-hmm. and it may happen. So be careful what you put in that book, okay? <laughs> <laughs> right. But, you know, we also based a lot of it. You know, uh, I think I might have mentioned this to you before, back in the old days. Uh, but you know, I, as I've studied what we call the lore about UFOs and extraterrestrials and the various Fortean kind of paranormal, uh, out of the ordinary stuff. As we learn more and more about that, uh, Dave and I have a tendency to kind of blend that stuff into our fiction. So the lore is kind of included uh, as part of the history of our characters. Um, familiar with uh, the Vril Society from Germany in the 1930s. Yeah. The, uh, the, the ladies, ladies who, with long blonde hair, they believed were psychic and Jedi for them. Which they could uh, use to tune in, and one of the uh, one of the ladies, uh, Maria Orchik, I believe, something like that. She claimed that she tuned in to the to beings who live in the star system of Aldebaran. So we actually Aldebaran. Have, uh, yeah, Aldebaran. Yeah. So we. Well, you see, in that now, listen. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. but we gotta we gotta do that because so many people. Call that differently, and they and I heard it, but I knew what you meant. But sometimes, if you hear something that you don't oh. recognize, it just you just glaze right over. So yeah. uh, that is designated yeah. Alpha Tauri. It's an orange yeah. giant star foca- located mm-hmm. 65 light years from here, and uh, mm-hmm. the sun is in the constellation Taurus. But so. Yeah. Uh, but how do you say that? Do they have something on here? Because I have heard people say it, but I always called it Aldebaran. And what's so mm-hmm. funny is some people call it Aldebaran and some Ald, uh, mm-hmm. Aldebaran. Uh, how do they say it? Aldebaran. I've heard it pronounced both ways. <laughs> it may be that both ways are okay, you know, depending on where you live in the world. <laughs> I wonder how they say it in England or the Netherlands yeah. or Canada. But uh, we're we're being listened to even in China. I was looking at the different countries, but uh, mm-hmm. Alpha Tauri, the brightest star in the constellation of Taurus, and the unusual mm-hmm. representation. So, uh, just uh, doesn't don't we have a way to to check it out on Google or Wikipedia or something? Or sometimes it'll give you. Anyway, y'all check it out and let us know the proper way. We probably won't say it because I'm Southern and Bill's Southern, and uh, I don't know was Monroe, Louisiana, and you were in, you're in Arkansas, so we were we weren't too far from each other. Right. You know, you know where Jackson, Mississippi is. So right. I'll have to look yeah, up how far. But you can go on. I was just doing all Diberon, but give me the city you were born in. I'm gonna see how far we were born from each other. Just, I'm just into all that stuff. But I'll have another show I can do on. What's today? Uh, Friday. Yeah. What you got? Saturday? Okay, it's Sunday. I may do a spiritual science metaphysical show more and start doing some readings or some, doing some of my okay. preaching, preaching about okay. all this stuff here in the south. <laughs> but uh, you know. 
but you can, you're welcome to come on Sundays. You're good on Sundays if you're you know after church or whatever. But I mean, I don't know what time, but you could let me know. All right, give me the city you were born in, and I will let you continue because I'm going to add comedy relief while you talk um, about this stuff. Yes. What is the, the city you were born? It's the little town of Monette, Arkansas. M O N E T T E, and uh, not pronounced Monet, but pronounced Monette. Which uh, I guess if you were French, you might pronounce it Monet. But, uh, okay. Yeah, that's uh, that's where okay. I grew up. And to then, Monroe, uh, Louisiana. Yeah, but See I where we touched down. I, I lived most you know, of my life either in Memphis or near Memphis. And yeah, why did you there. choose to be born there? Why would I choose to be born there? I have no idea. Actually, I was born in Jonesboro, Arkansas. It's a hospital there. Which is near Monette. You know, there's no hospital in Monette. But, uh, well, Monette is five hours and 21 minutes from where I was born, straight up north. It's uh, via US 67. So that is sort of kinky, considering we didn't think we knew each other at all. But <laughs> from over overhead coming to the planet, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, think about it. This is a huge ball. This is a huge spaceship Earth. And Monette, Arkansas, population, not very many, Monette, Arkansas. But, you know, I just find things like that. And we'll do more of that, I, I, synchronicity and all of that. But you should see the little map from Monroe to Monette. They're both M's. You go straight from Louisiana right below Arkansas and straight up Arkansas, which is right there close to Memphis, Right. Yeah. And then I only lived 100 miles from Nashville, from Monroe. It doesn't look very big. All right, carry on. I just thought that for some reason uh, that was supposed to be in the show tonight. So everybody look at where you were born <laughs> compared to Monette, M-O-N-E-T-T-E, a little homework for you, Arkansas, and Monroe, Louisiana, where I was born. For all you ACO members out there, our Ascension Center organization, we've been working on the ACO since the inception to have meet each other and uh, we're still working on that so uh, American Communications Online in Florida is what we have now and uh, we go to ACO which is still us Ascension Oracles and the Universal Life Ministers on Sunday but now Bill has the open walk he's trying to get us to be more open with who we are in all the world religions. So let's get back to, but we're going to get into the will the Internet achieve a sentience too, but we're starting off with the open walk, and I've printed out a few questions here for him just to keep him moving right along. And so you can skip across them and then whatever touches your fancy there, Bill. So yeah. go ahead. You saw what I wrote, and uh, we, we were, you were discussing Aldebaran in your book, your new book. This is a book to be released in 2019. It won't make it by 2018, I bet. <laughs> yeah, right. It won't make it this year. Yeah, it, it is. A <laughs> it's called uh, the Sophia Crisis, and it, it's set, like I said, 500 years in the future. And it's a story about um, um, this culture of the future where, where humans are a part of a polyracial culture that includes these Aldebarans. And the Aldebarans are actually uh, one of the member races. And uh, it turns out that uh, uh, in our stories, thousands of years ago, um, 
there was a race of beings that came to the earth, actually many, many thousands of years ago, tens of thousands of years ago. A race of beings came to the earth, and they participated in a process known as genetic uplift, and uplifted us, that is our ancestors, into sentience. And uh, now a lot of folks talk about the Anunnaki. In our stories, uh, the Anunnaki came along a little later. The job had already been done uh, by this race we call the Primosians. And, um, Primosians? The yeah, the Primosians. They were the ones who actually uplifted us. And the Anunnaki did they speak English? <laughs> or did they <laughs> use exactly. ESP? Uh, the, yeah, the Primosians were telepathic. And in fact, oh, they made okay. us to be telepathic as well. What the, nice. did there, what the Anunnaki did was they didn't genetically uplift us. They genetically downgraded us. They took away our telepathy. And what they gave us instead in its place was language. So they claimed they gave us language. Yeah, they did because they took away the telepathy we already had before they came along. So they jacked so, with our genome. They they went in there yeah. and, and messed with our telomeres for the length of time. And they messed mm-hmm. with our genome and... The ones we think are junk were probably used, and wow. Mm-hmm. So how many chromosomes did the did they promise us? I guess we've got one or two more than a cow, I don't mm-hmm. know, pig or something. Did you we're write all that up in there? Oh, no, we're, we're, not, we're only obliquely dealing with these things you know, in our stories. That, you know, it's, it's in the past, and so we got people we call galactropologists who are galactic, galactic archaeologists and anthropologists too. We were studying all this stuff, trying to piece it together, and so they've only got pieces of the picture, just like we have now, only pieces of the picture of our own history. And so, well, you uh, must be talking about the scions, because we, in every culture, seem to have the ESP telepathic ones, mm-hmm. and uh, in AI, the scions, they don't yeah, speak, so it's very hard to be a, be a, a robot or a, a future... What what am I called? A cyborg or a biological cyborg? One that's got both mm-hmm. biological. Did your people have a mixture with the AI or no? Because you do the will the internet achieve sentience? They, I somehow think you know something. In our future stories, yes, the the AI systems on board the spacecraft and the space stations are extremely advanced in these stories. Uh, we call them Vox, just like I do in the, in my book about um, will the Internet achieve sentient. Uh, so these are indeed sentient AI systems that humankind are interacting with and working with in the future. Uh, so, yeah, that's involved. Uh, not so much in the past, but in, the, in, in our future stories, stories about the future. Yeah. Um, but... What we've got going on is basically uh, uh, genet- a lot of genetic engineering is going on as well, and that's a factor that's dealt with in the stories. Debated between the characters. Some, some characters believe that we've gone too far with that, and some believe that there's still a whole lot of future of genetic engineering. And uh, the basically uh, a, a rival race, a, a uh, kind of an enemy race, if you will, uh, have tinkered with and put together a genetic hybrid being who's got the best of all the different beings, and she's a super t- 
telepath. And uh, her name is Sophia. And basically, she's taking over the galaxy uh, telepathically. She's spreading her mind, spreading and, and taking over everyone's minds. And it, it's a frightening time for a lot of folks. So this story is basically uh, how the culture seems to be kind of falling apart as, as she spreads and gobbles up everyone telepathically. And our main character, Rupert, and his little friend, Rascal, are trying to help deal with it. And they're kind of what you might call accidental heroes in the course of the story. So, uh, uh, sounds like a Stan Lee super thing. Maybe you'll get into Marvel Comics and get over and get you a movie made. You never know. You know, a lot of what we've written has a, very, a lot of very visual aspects to it. I really think it would make a great series of movies. Because we're... This story is just the beginning of, a, of an ongoing series of stories with these main characters. Uh, Rupert is a, a young uh, young boy, basically. He starts off at the very beginning of the story, he's a series of 16, and works his way up. You know, at the time of this actual story that we're writing now, I think he's still 17, just about to turn 18 soon, and so it's like a young adult kind of. Uh, Series as, as it continues on uh, into his twenties, throughout multiple. We just got the outlines from multiple stories, and we we got whole portions written of, uh, of multiple stories. But right now, we're just trying to focus on the first one to get it done and out there, <laughs> so that we can then work yeah, on the uh, yeah. sequel. Well, you probably just gave the plot line. Now everybody will be writing books about the same. Uh, I don't know your your world. Bill's world, <laughs> the open walk. What I just gave was the barest of outlines of, of the story. There's so much more to it, so I haven't really given All right. much. <laughs> well, we share how to open various subjects, and we're going to teach people how to do that, that we may remember through our filters and cultural heritage, which can break down into a lot of things that you covered in your open book. But people are going to hear us, want to gonna, they're going to want to, <laughs> They're going to want to hear us talk about them and how to help them so they will tune in because people like to learn. And that my group mm-hmm. used to listen to me just like you tuned in one day because we were talking about extraterrestrials and UFOs, which are two big things. But we were under spirituality. Now these days we're under news. So we've gone sort of real on our listening audience, so we're going to have to build up our news uh, flash that we're dealing in reality now. But Bill has written several books, and we're sharing uh, the open walk and some ideas on how to share information with our Ascension Center Club, our UFO Secret Space Club, and my company, American Communications Online, that's willing to pay for all these little tools we use so we can archive some of this information because we're historians and we're authors and we write and we like to meet each other. Now, uh, remembering through our filters and cultural heritage, we're doing what Bill is doing and helping people, and they say they always learn, especially when they listen to Bill and Teresa, believe it or not. So, well, the Internet Achieves Sentience, that's the last book, or two books ago, and what is the Mandela Effect, and he wrote a book Dealing with the Mandela Effect, and we talked about that last night or the night last Saturday. But will we live to see more history evolve as conspiracy theories? 
and we could talk about those till the cows come home because people love news and what is fake news and do corporations and lobbyists control the governments of the world i don't like to get into politics but that's just something i wonder if other people have wondered too and what would we do if there actually is proof that we are all having to learn and how to be whole-brained and learning of our full potential. So we'll have to explain the whole brain versus left or right, which we used to do with the red ball and the blue ball. Or We did that, and we're just going to touch on these because I know you can. What if going to space is really a 3D conscious thought with memories? And then what if contact has to deal with knowing about ascension and disclosure of aliens and UFOs? Share with what unidentified aerial phenomena really is, and what do we have only? Why do we only have red and blue states and two major parties in the USA? And not to get political, but these are just questions I'm asking me and myself, and remembering how I used to do with Bill, so we could have something to get people to wonder about. So uh, I like those first ones because they deal with your books. And we left off last night talking about the Bendela effect with Ken Johnston. And he may tune in the last hour, but uh, we got 30 minutes left in the first one. But uh, where do you want to do this? We've got uh, The Open Walk is a book, and it's also now a radio show with Bill M. Tracer. And it's going to teach us to be more open-minded and accept a lot of these things here I wrote here. But, uh, you know, folks, I want you to be comfortable and feel like you come to listen to learn and that we talk about reality, but also the fact that if you're the author of your own life story, you can still move into the future, creating a future. And what future do you want? So the open walk, Mm -hmm. uh, why did you write open walk? Was that about being open-minded? Why lead us to the open walk, Bill? Well, you know, as I started doing my comparative religion study, I, uh, I I started looking around, you know, and, and, I, and it was like an open kind of thing. You you have to open yourself up to lots of different other ideas that other people have, and, um, and so and it's like a walk also in that you're you're walking from one idea to another idea. So it's like a, you have to open up that way so that you can. And I consider various different titles. I I looked up. Their phrases, the open path or the open way and the open walk. And ultimately, I found that nobody was using the open walk, but the other ones were being used. So I, I wanted mine to you know, stand out so that it's not being used by anybody else. So I did extensive searches online and found that nobody was using that reference. And it, it seems to best describe what I'm talking about because, like I said, you, you have to open your mind. But it's more than just opening your mind. It's also opening what you learn about all these other places and things and beliefs and ideas and philosophies the world over. And uh, and that was one of the topics I kind of wanted to talk about tonight was in my book, Chapter 2, which is titled Three Primary Discoveries. One of the things I did was I made these three primary discoveries as I was doing that comparative religion. Uh, search and in fact when you compare anything you're going to find these three primary discoveries you're going to find differences you're going to find 
similarities and you're going to find commonalities. You know, there's a popular uh, bumper sticker I've seen where using the various symbols of different religions that I see on people's car that makes up the word coexist. And then, not long ago, I saw where someone had done the same thing with religious symbols that made up the word contradict. And, you know, obviously that person who, who designed the contradict one is responding to the coexist one in a negative way, but to be honest, they're both right. It's not that one is right and the other is wrong. They're both right. We can find coexistence between all the religions of the world, and we can also find that parts of those religions contradict each other. Like I said, when you make those comparisons, you're going to find the three primary discoveries. And the first one is difference. You're going to find differences, but you're also going to find similarities, and then you're going to find commonalities. And the commonalities, I think, are the most important part. So I uh, kind of came up with a little chart, I guess you could say, how do we deal with those three things if we really want to be harmonious with everybody, if we want to have harmony, then how do we deal with those three discoveries? And it's very simple. We first must appreciate our differences, comprehend our similarities, and focus on our commonalities. If we can do that, if we can treat those things that way, then we can find true harmony. Appreciate our differences, comprehend our similarities, focus on our commonalities. That'll do it. So I think it's an important way to use those three discoveries. And in that chapter, chapter two of my book, I deal with that as well as then uh, kind of covering some different exercises and uh, just like games you can play with yourself and others uh, to help you kind of tweak those and kind of make it become a habit to appreciate our differences, comprehend our similarities, and focus on our commonalities. So um, that is the, that's the main thrust. <laughs> of chapter two is, is trying to achieve that. And uh, and part of that does indeed require having an open mind and uh, being able to, you know, it's, it's only with an open mind that you can appreciate the differences between yourself and others. And it's only with that open mind that you can really begin to comprehend about those similarities and then focus on the commonalities. So is so, the Open Walk a self-help book? You know, in Where is it in Amazon? I don't know that I've listed it that way, but in many ways it can certainly be used that way. I, uh, as, I as on the back of the book, I, I actually say that I, that I see it as kind of a guidebook to the, uh, to the awakening age, or it can serve as that. And... Uh, but but not by not imposing thoughts upon the reader, but rather by provoking thoughts in them. You know, the largest number of sentences in this book end with a question mark. There's a lot of questions. Isn't that funny? Think about it. I don't have one in front of me. He gave me uh, one a while back in his beta test group that I wanted to talk to Ken Johnston about tonight in our author's club as we'd help each other edit and check for spell checks. But here's all these questions right here for you. 
Bill, mm-hmm. just off yep. the top of my head, I did last mm-hmm. night because you know how you get off a radio show and it says make your next one. And so this is, you know, you weren't online, so I went, oh, well, okay. There they are. <laughs> mm-hmm. Ready for your next yeah. book, Open Walk 2. Let me give you an example here. In this, in this paragraph, the first two sentences your question. You might ask, how can we get along with each other when our beliefs sometimes conflict so strongly? Could the answer be found in how we focus on these three discoveries? How we deal with our differences, how we search for those similarities, and how we lift up our commonalities are all crucial ingredients in the formula. So, you know, like I say, more of that is questioned, and that's what that's it's by design. You know, the whole idea is is to provoke the reader to think for themselves and strive to see how how they feel about that. You know, what's their answer? You know, it's not. I'm not trying to give you answers. I'm giving you questions to you to think about and come up with the answers yourself. And you know, that's that's the teaching method that is used. I think it's a great advantage uh, by some of the greatest teachers in the world and in history. Um, just provoke thought. Don't try to inject it or, or impose it, but provoke thought in the reader and that's, uh, and in, in the listener as well. And that's what I seek to do in the open wall more than anything else is provoke. So, uh, provoke thoughts. Get your mm-hmm. so you're a natural teacher to get people to use their mind and you know what information that is like having a mind is like having a, a computer brain <laughs> and we talk mm-hmm. a lot about AI and AGI and where we're going in the future and those that are visionaries and enthusiasts in our ACO club that are authors or entrepreneurs or both. They're independent contractors, and they're all about making money. Uh, but, you know, it's not about the money, and this is what a lot of people don't understand, and I see a lot on Facebook. They think that every everybody's out to sell books, but you know what? In today's time, if you've got some good thoughts and you put them together, great, uh, and you're mm-hmm. working on a manuscript or a story, you know, that's what I – I'm about you are the author of your own life story, and that was my mother's legacy to me and my children is to be authors that we're all the author of our own life story and then I came up with alien civilizations exist, so that and then the Ascension Center back in the eighties, and I was inspired, and we talk about our oversoul and being correct connected to open source are all the way up, that's the internet, but also all the way up to our universal source. And Bill was very good at helping me define all of those in our alphaverse and omegaverse and omniverse and how we are moving forward. And he was able to speak of uh, those things in the future. And you have to be inspired and have an imagination too. And, uh, you know, there's some great minds that believed in that, Albert Einstein and Nikola Tesla. So, you know, we're working on the consciousness, and I've heard some people talk about how they're shifting and they can feel the connection to the Oversoul, and for the next month, the next year is going to be tough. 
and we're going to mm-hmm. talk about how all that's going to affect us. But where you're at now is you're telling us to use our minds and to think about these things. How can we all get along, even in our yeah. group, because we have different people that want to talk about different things. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I don't. we're handling alienology and cosmology and, of course, uh, epistemology, phenomenology, all the ologies, and Egyptology, pyramidology, ufology. But what are all these with the world religions? Theology, right? So are you a theologist? Well, not really. Um, (laughs) Some people would call me an anti-theologist, but, you know, that's that's still not what I am either. Uh, Yeah, I, I look around me and I see a lot of conflict in this world. And I think a lot of it is unnecessary in many ways. You know, it's funny I could use that word, unnecessary. I, I used to laugh at my mother. Not that I was laughing in a bad way. I was just laughing with her. Uh, Sometimes we'd be watching television. And there might be some violent act occur. You know, somebody shoots somebody. And she'll just sort of, or she would just sort of uh, huff and say, well, that was unnecessary. And, you know, <laughs> that. That's uh, hilarious, that. but it's, it's so mother-like, you know, the it's universal right. source. And, yeah, yeah good like, for her. Like, for you, like you, I would laugh, but at the same time, you know what? I agreed with her. It is unnecessary. It's unnecessary for people to be violent with each other. It's unnecessary for people to, to just be so ugly killing other people. It's just unnecessary. And, you know, she meant it in a different way than I am. Maybe I'm kind of preaching at the moment, but still, it, she was right. She was right in her own parochial sort of way. It was unnecessary. So, I look at all this conflict in the world, and I, and I say that it's unnecessary, and it's unfortunate. And so, what I'm really trying to do with the open walk is Offer a path for people to find a way to ease up from the conflict, to not encourage all this separation, you know. And uh, in part of the book, I identify what I call the six pitfalls to avoid on the open on our open wall. And these six pitfalls are part of the conflict. They're part of the reason that the various religions of the world are are so separate from one another and sometimes at conflict with one another, sometimes literally fighting one another. And uh and if we can if we can extract ourselves from these pitfalls, if we can avoid these pitfalls and we can navigate around them, then we can find that way to harmonize like I talked about last week, like that symphony, the all the different musical instruments like all the different religions of the world, when they're not playing together, it creates noise. When the conductor gets up there and gets them all together and they're playing in harmony with one another, it's beautiful, it's sweet, and that's the way it's supposed to be with these religions of all the different religions of the world as well. We can do that. We can harmonize. But well, we're under the spirituality category. So that's good. I guess I was able to change our category from news last night to spirituality tonight. So isn't that interesting? So you, 
Hmm. So you must be a little bit of a theologist, <laughs> a spirituality person. Yes. Yes, I'm spiritual. <laughs> I'm not going to use that cliche <laughs> phrase. I'm spiritual, but not religious, because I'm a little bit too. <laughs> but uh, so, but yeah, are world religions going to fade away? You know, yeah, are all those world religions? Because some of them faded away. I was shocked when I started studying religions for that book, Knowing Cosmology, that I wrote, uh, that some have faded away, literally, off the planet. It's a friendly way of expressing it when you say they faded away. A lot of them were killed off, to be perfectly honest. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, you know, they've been trying to get rid of a lot of our stuff, and that really hurts my soul. Uh, I loved museums, and I loved libraries, and uh, those were important times with spent with my parents because there were seven of us, and Mother moved us from Monroe to Houston, Texas, and there's not a lot a parent can afford, middle class, for their children. So they took us a lot to the libraries and to the museums. And Chicago, same thing. And, of course, you know, Washington, you're going to go to the Smithsonian. But I'm very big about the American Library Association and in, in promoting all the museums around the world, but I, it's really hurt me during the, uh, well, just seeing on television, I guess, or seeing documentaries that they, in Iraq, and we were after the Iranian oil, you know, with mm-hmm. the Bush and Clinton, and I guess Reagan, but uh, mm-hmm. especially during the Bush presidency, and my oh, husband yeah. was throwing satchels on those. You know, they were in all that black, and, you know, it was terrible over there, folks. But the guys started wondering what the war was all about. I mean, people, they want jobs and they get in, but so many people over there are tearing up the relics or the old buildings and things like that and either, either robbing the artifacts and trying to get them as quickly as they can to the museums or that most of them are being sort of raped and pillaged the buildings and the and the mm-hmm. artifacts and the, and and so this has been a big race to right. you know get rid of things so i would imagine what you said triggered me when you said a lot of world religions have been killed off and it seems mm-hmm. like in our in, in this and you and me being on the planet in this era that there's mm-hmm. a lot of things being hidden and trying to get rid of and being knocked off, if, if you know what I mean. So maybe all that goes together. Maybe people hate it. I don't know. Go now, ahead. Now, now that we live in the awakening age, some of the religions that were forced to go underground have begun to come out. The Cathars are a perfect example. You know, the Catholic Church back in the 11th century uh, basically did what they could to try to kill off the Cathars. And it was a, a terrible slaughter of people, and a lot of innocent people died in the process. Uh, but apparently, a certain number of them still did survive and went underground and have been underground for centuries. And only recently, they now have a web presence online. The, the, the new Catholic Church has resurfaced because they feel now they can they they're safe enough to not be people to be trying to kill them. Again. Really? Mm-hmm. What about the uh, Ross? Uh, oh, uh, Janet just uh, had me the, with all the dreadlocks and Bob Marley and Rastafarians or Rastafarians. Yeah, they're still around. Um, 
it's one of the small groups. There's a lot, a lot of, of the smaller type of religions. And the Ukrainians are a relatively new religion. But uh, there are, like I said before, almost every day new ones are, are cropping up. And uh, and that's okay, but as I talk about in the book, it's not as helpful as opening up to the open wall. Uh-oh, you're so, muffled a little bit, either. Sorry about that. I, I, turned, I turned a little bit away from the phone. Is that, is that better now? Yeah. Wow, what a difference. Yeah, while you're recording it on YouTube, go back and listen to what you did, and you'll go, oh, I won't do that again. <laughs> okay. Sorry about you'll that. catch it, right? Let but, me get uh, in a yeah. segue right there. Let me let me promote us again. Folks, we're just yeah. starting. We need your help. Uh, on uh, the money that I'm paying out to do all this recording and uh, getting us talking about world uh, in general – and meeting each other is the ACO American Communications Online channel that I lost for whatever reason, but it's back. And Bill found it. So, uh, Bill, if you can pull that up and see, you will see your name up there and YouTube. Sure. And uh, even though I'm Teresa J. Morris, uh, radio is just, TJ Morris ET Radio is just one of the channels. And in that you have we have series and we have numbers, and uh, there's a there's a method to the madness when all these people got together on the internet and started setting this up. And I was fortunate enough to get involved in the beginning, before we had the internet, <laughs> and help in one way or another. And you know DARPA and uh, the government and working in uniform and out of uniform and. You know, just learning. I went to school, but Cobalt and Fortran, that was back what everybody was taking and talking about the future. Went sneak away. I wanted to be a philosopher and go to theos, I guess theology, but I wanted to go to classes and the people would say, you don't want to waste your time, blah, blah, blah. So I got discouraged from doing things I wanted to do and take because I was trying to be an investigator and everybody knew they were pointing me towards forensics and, and law enforcement and criminal justice. But this was the stuff I liked, but I didn't know what it was called. So I guess it's like sitting around, and most of us have time on our hands, at least the baby debimers do. And we sit around, and, and we would talk about things, especially in the future. And computers were so mystical and what they were going to be like. And uh, some of my books are about that coming forward all the way into the future and uh, what some of my stories are about deal with uh, reality and some are history based on reality and some past life and, and I found that there's people out there that want to know a little bit of both so I'm game the only thing is some of these conferences I'm hearing they're being uh, bringing a lot of our authors together uh they're blending science fiction with fiction with nonfiction. And mm-hmm. people are, well, like us, in, in commercials. But what are children to think? I mean, <laughs> I grew up where Santa Claus was important, and now I think it's Sanity Claus is more important than Santa Claus, right? So uh, this open walk hopefully will help give you a guideline 
I don't know if you call it theosophy or a new way to think, but the open walk, uh, is it a new way to think or just to get you to think about several mm-hmm. subjects? It, it is much more yeah. of a philosophy. It's much more of a philosophy mm-hmm. than it is anything else. The open walk is not mm-hmm. a religion, and I emphasize that quite strongly in the beginning of the book, that uh, it shouldn't, shouldn't be thought that way, but it is a way of thinking. It is a philosophy. And certainly, then it will influence the religious thoughts that you have. But it is not itself a religion. But so you can relate to arm. You can relate to armchair philosophers, then. Yes, to a certain extent. Yes, I jokingly refer to myself as a rogue philosopher. And, a rogue uh, philosopher. There you go. A rogue philosopher. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's kind of my approach. Um, but you know, earlier I, was, I mentioned the six pitfalls to avoid while on the open walk. I would like to talk about those if uh, if we've got some time to do that. Um, yes, right on the hour. Uh, in about six minutes, I may play a little commercial, but you go uh, right ahead. What, what's up? Yeah. We'll uh, we'll give this uh, give the, the listeners something to think about while uh, while that's going on. Uh, like I said, the six pitfalls to avoid. Uh, first, I'll just list them by their names, and then we can talk about what each of those really are. Uh, some people have jokingly said these these names sound kind of like titles for Big Bang Theory uh, episodes, uh, but you'll, you'll see what I mean when I read them. The, the first one is the idealization problem, and then there's the exclusivity trap, and the literalism complication. The interpretation dilemma, the absolutism impediment, and finally, the fundamentalist inclination. Now, these six pitfalls are, by design almost, uh, designed to separate us, to put us in groups, and to, to identify certain people as the other, who then become the enemy, and... All of that is unnecessary, like we talked about earlier. You know. uh, so each of these are a problem that we find in various religions all over the world, and some of them exist in every religion of the world. But, uh, but they don't all. But, but they all exist in, in the ma- ma- pretty much all in the major religions. And, uh, and so if you start with the idealization problem, one of the things with that problem, and I'm going to... I've got my book on the on the computer screen right now as we speak, um, so I got to get that that chapter. That's chapter three. The idealization problem. Okay. It, it it's a uh, it's like when we take an idea and we begin to idealize that concept or that idea, then as the very process of idealizing it has a tendency to take us away from reality itself. So in a sense of the word, you know, I, I created what I call a thought equation. Idealization equals unreality. And when we do that, when we idealize something, we also have a tendency to codify it. And a lot of our religions do that. They have codified beliefs. And when we codify our beliefs, it just becomes more and more idealized. And when it becomes more and more idealized, it becomes more and more unreal. So codification equals limiting your view of reality. Codification of beliefs leads to idealization. Idealization leads to unreality. 
and what has un what has idealization done for us? It's not about religion per se, because we do this with more than just religion. We also do this with politics. We idealize either a politician or a political idea, and then it again the same thing happens. It spirals away from reality, not toward it, but away from it more and more. And as those things become proliferated, it just gets worse. But an example in politics, or part of our history, um, of idealization that's gone wrong is during the time of World War II when the Nazis came up with this idea, which, which I think was a misunderstanding of Friedrich Nietzsche's idea of what he called the Superman, which they called, of course, the master race. And these idealized distortions led to the Holocaust and the slaughtering of millions of people, none of whom deserved their ill fate in Nazi concentration camps. The Holocaust is a spot-on example in which the idealization of a set of beliefs brought about a distortion designed to justify pure evil. That evil found its genesis in the idealization of a belief lifted up as being more important than selected people. Yeah, that, that's the real problem with idealization. When you do that, you end up lifting up ideas and say, oh, well, these ideas are even more important than people. And when ideas become more important than people, then it makes it a lot easier to kill those people like they did in the Holocaust. So we see with idealization, with that problem, it can lead to some real horrible things and put a lot, bring people into a lot of pain and misery. And that's one of the major reasons that idealization, when it gets involved with religion, things can really go wrong. Again, starting back to the Cathars, as we talked about earlier, another example where the idealization that the Catholic Church held high, a lot of their ideas became more important than those people who they considered to be heretics, and they sent soldiers off to go kill them. It was known as the Albigensian Crusade, one of, one of the few, I guess you would say, of the Crusades that actually didn't go to the Middle East, but instead went deeper into Europe, and uh, coastal Mediterranean, coastal areas of uh, Italy and France was where a lot of these people were. And the Catholic Church just basically sent the soldiers in just to wipe them out. Whole cost. Just wipe out entire cities or towns anyway. And, How do we um, know it was the Catholic Church? It was the Pope who, who did the order. Pope Innocent III. It wasn't very innocent, was it? <laughs> I was it historically archived in the uh, Vatican, or did they have the Vatican back then? <laughs> oh, yeah, they had the Vatican. It's been around a long time. But, yeah, um, the, uh, um, yeah it, it's just, this, is, this is recorded in history. I cite, cite my sources in the book. And I have several sources in the book uh, of where I got information about the, uh, the Albigensian Crusade, the, basically the massacre of the Cathars. And, and you mean you know what a bibliography people. is? Is that what you're talking about? A bibliography? Yes, I have in my the Open Walk of Extensive Extensive Bibliography References section. It's it has got uh, see, the numbers go all the way up to 205. So 205 different. Good lands. 
And well, tell I, people uh, why. Tell why? people why we have a bibliography. Yeah, why'd you do that? Well, it, it's all about, you know, if I wanted to just write up a bunch of opinion in my book without having to cite any sources, you know, I'd rather be okay, but I don't think it would, it wouldn't be real valuable. But by having the bibliography with the reference section, that, that shows people, you know, I'm not just drawing, I'm not just making up statistics and pulling them out of the air. I I have sources, and these sources, various sources on the Internet, various sources in actual print book, various sources of various types. Um, All right, well, hold on now. Let me... Let me run. I'm going to run a, a commercial because you just were able to make me think about that. Bibliographies. <laughs> did you hear that? It's in, oh yeah, I could hear it. Uh, I think it's just important, you know, to cite your sources and and, uh, and to have various sources um, because you know the factual parts anyway need to be backed up. You know, and um, and that's basically what I've done. Now certainly there there are places where I then take that and go into you know my point of view. It's inevitable. <laughs> It's not like I can't do that. I, my point of view is there. It's it's, it's, it's this, but but yeah, my point of view is indeed uh, still tempered by having a variety of sources where I'm looking at other people's point of view and comparing and contrasting my point of view with their point of view and and uh, throughout history. In fact, I even have a chapter that's devoted to that topic, uh, which I call uh, about the grand debate. I kind of look at the overview of history and I think about. You know, this philosopher, what he said, this other scientist, what they said. And, and you know, it's in a way, in a manner of speaking, there is this ongoing debate that's going on. You know, I can even debate Galileo. Galileo, excuse me. Or I could debate Einstein, just in the written form. You know, I don't have to historically be with these individuals. I can take what they thought and what they wrote down. And I can give my thoughts in contrast, or, in, or actually in harmony with, with their thoughts, and and it all becomes part of the grand debate. And, and I'm not the only one who can do that. Everyone can do that. Anyone can do that. We can look at these thought, other people's thoughts and other ideas throughout history, and consider, okay, what do I think about that? Where do I stand in that grand debate throughout all of history? And so the grand debate doesn't occur at any one moment. It spans 
all of history, from the very beginning of humanity to the far future, whenever our last our last human breathes his last breath. So that's the span of time of the grand debate. It's we're in the middle of it. It's ongoing, and it only ends when we end. The grand debate with humans, anyway. You know, as long, I guess you could say that grand debate could still continue with other sentient beings. So, as long as there are sentient beings to think about stuff and contemplate and compare and contrast their ideas with others, then in that sense, on a universal cosmic level, the grand debate goes on till then. So, the last sentient dies off. It's a long time. What about. <laughs> What about MUFON and all the guys that are splitting it up because they're going from the nuts and bolts? And so MUFON had, you know, we had these little meetings and houses, and then we went into the libraries, and then, you know, we're trying to get better and started having these little things. And you remember the uh, Star Trek had the big things, you know, that most people, because it was thought to be fiction at the time. But MUFON, you know, Mutual UFO Network from 1969, there has got to be a reason after APRO. And I want I want people to look into all that, you know, well, the Internet bitch even sentience. But you could be a speaker at MUFON and because we're getting into this Mandela effect and how the Ascension Age is being taken over by speakers that we don't know where they're getting their information from except out of their top of their mind, our dreaming it, our lucid dreams, such as uh, Emory Smith and Corey Good and David Wilcock, which David was all about ascension, but I was back about that back in the 80s. And uh, a lady that was on our board in Arizona she helped write the books and, uh, you know, helped people, including Tony Stubbs. And uh, anyway, I can get in all the details and mention drop names and all that stuff. But uh, mm-hmm. I was all about ascension. And a man, because I was a psychic and working with people before, who wanted to know everything in California there was about ascension. And I mean, they were willing to. I, I flew back and forth between California and Hawaii. So. You know, we've had these words, and I don't know if you would call it a religion, but uh, I knew that I was impressed with the ascension uh, when the tree split with, this is like Stan Lee, (laughs) you're listening to me on UFO Digest, is uh, the ascension age, or the ascension center was very important to me. And the uh, picture I had on, I think, last night uh, and maybe people, if they click on from YouTube and come back to uh, the uh, blogtalkradio.com, TJ Mars ET Radio, they will find the picture that I got. And Bill, I think you've had it at one time, the one with the, the all the lines in it. And uh, then you made some banners for Ascension Age, you know, mm-hmm. and the Ascension Center. So. If we're not ascension, we're ascension center club, but I don't know that we never agree. We're not really a religion, but we were. I had the ascension center awakening classes, psychic awakening classes. But now, since I've given all this stuff for free all these years, I'm seeing 
like the contact in the desert. And you, you know who I'm talking about, don't you? I, I know mm-hmm. you and I, one of the libraries, you went over and picked up one of the books, and it sort of freaked you out because I mentioned, and that's how you and I talked about David Wilcock because he had just come out with a new book you wanted to read. I don't know if we right. were at Books a Million or had an author's club, but you have them at the uh, – where do you have your meeting now? And then you know what I'm talking about. We're with, uh, Barnes and Noble is where we have our meeting. We're up with one here. Um, but yeah, um, the book oh, here's Ken. Hold. Go ahead. Go ahead, and I'll oh, put me on uh, while I get Ken. Okay, you go ahead and talk. I was just saying that the book you were referring to from David Wilcox was uh, Synchronicity. And I did get that book. Um, and it was a pretty good one. But. Um, you're right about one thing. A lot of those folks seem to have become much more commercial. Uh, and I think that, that some of them also kind of suffered a little bit of a credibility problem shortly after the uh, uh, 2012, uh, when they were they were predicting, you know, before that, uh, well, December 21st, 2012, how that the world was going to come to an end. And as of course it didn't, and so I think so. Some of them kind of suffered some credibility problems in the aftermath of that, but um, and perhaps in some way as a result, uh, there was a certain level of selling out going on. I don't know the details. I don't claim to know, but uh, but that's uh, that's neither here nor there. In any event, what I'm trying to do with my book is. You know, it's not about the money. I mean, I, sure, I have to, I have to sell it for a price, because you know, I've got to somehow make a living. And lately, I've not been doing very well with that. But um, in any event, I think there's some real important ideas here that that I hope that people will take the time to think about as they read through this book, because I think it it, it really can help. Like I said, it's a kind of guidebook for the awakening age. A lot of people are waking up to, to see a bigger world. Uh, I think we've become more and more global in our scope. And uh, the result of that is is the awakening age. And uh, this book can kind of help us to find a pathway to navigate through this, uh, this awakening age. And I, I heard your breathing, so you back. I'm back, and I think I brought Tommy Hawksblood with me. Did I? Is that no? Tommy? This is Mike from Sing- this is Mike from Singapore. How are you, there, sir? Oh, hi, okay. Mike. How are you tonight? Mm-hmm. You're calling in on Saturday. Crazy. All right. Yeah, I Do you know you Bill? Yesterday. Uh, Bill. Oh, you did. Uh, uh, yeah, but you did, forgot to look at your switch room, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was pretty involved. You're right. You're, and I don't I let just know, people fall, I, come on, you know, but I thought you were Tommy. I, but that's okay. You right. used to hang out with me and Tommy some. But uh, anyway, welcome, yeah. Mike. Uh, just uh, this is Bill M. Tracer, so you haven't worked with him online yet, have you? No, I have not. Yeah, I I know you. All right. Uh, and and yeah, but but uh, uh, go ahead, please. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, and uh, I'm fixing to bring uh, Ken on here, and Mike from Singapore. Mike, what kind of last name do you use these days? 
other than intelligence work? What what kind of give me a name, a last name. Make Mike. one up or something. Mike and Mike. Um, uh, Mike and Mike, that's why. Mike. Mike Smith. Mike Hold and, on, let me get Okay, Mike. But Mike from Singapore. But yeah, you don't share right. your last name because you're working in because, uh, because you know they call us foreign workers here and uh, it's really uh, difficult for us here. We don't. I mean, we do it. I mean, we talk uh, freedom of speech. We have everything, but you know, we we have to understand. Uh, you know, that right now we are going through the global uh, chaos right now. Mm-hmm. So in the global chaos, you don't want to make sure you have at least some paycheck coming to you and surviving. Mm-hmm. Well, fortunately, we're in the United States, and I don't feel th- so threatened. Right. But I understand Mike being in Singapore. But let me uh, let me mm-hmm. uh, let you listen for a minute and get Ken Johnston on here because see, I've got him billed. But Mike, stay with us, and we'll get back to you and let Bill talk to you from Singapore. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ken Johnston from the United States of America is an aerospace engineer, and he has agreed to work with us in our ACO, Ascension Center Club, our uh, ACO Association, UFO Association. And uh, he's actually helping us build a show where we had Thursday nights with Daryl W. Sims and our Alien Hunters organization with him and Tommy Hawksblood. And uh, Tommy's got his own channel and his own uh, show now separately. And uh, Daryl Sims is doing going all over the world with uh, several things. And he's got the Sundance UFO Con coming up, Sundance Indian UFO Con in Houston, Texas in January. And so be looking for... Daryl, we'll have him back when he's not on the road. But right now, Ken Johnston, he's around Albuquerque, and he just did a wonderful thing with Stargate to the Cosmos for us with Janet Carolesson and Barbara Lindsay and uh, many other people. So, uh, Bill, if you will, uh, say hi to Ken, and let's let Ken introduce himself. Ken, are you there? Oh, I certainly am. My apology for not being in a little earlier, but uh, you know how it goes when you're trying to feed a whole bunch of horses. <laughs> no, I wouldn't know I what it's like. I have heard that there's a lot of starving horses in the world, so but you've obviously not taken on horses. a few horses. Well, introduce yourself. Okay, introduce well, yourself because this is going to be on YouTube. Go ahead. Okay. Introduce hey, my yourself. My name is Ken, John- Ken Johnston. Yeah, that's with the T. Because be amazed how many people say, I call, I contacted you, and I left you messages, and you don't even get back with me. And I say, well, let me guess. You, you put it to Ken John's son, didn't you? Said, yes, I did. <laughs> put a T in my name, and I'll answer you. Anyway, um, I was one of the, uh, uh, the original four civilian astronauts in the Apollo program with uh, the Grumman Aerospace Corporation. They, they hired us to uh, test the lunar module in the vacuum chambers at the Johnson Space Center and then turn around and, and help train the uh, NASA astronauts so that they could fly it and go to the moon. So I, I was very active in that, and for the longest period of time, I thought that, you know, we were the fastest things in the world and we were the first ones to get the land on the moon. And you know what? Now that I've gotten a little older and I've gotten a little bit more involved in the secret space program, I'm starting to realize that we were already there. <laughs> so there's a lot going on that 
is just now coming forward, and we all need to, those people need to come forward, and we all talk about it together. And I'm, I'm not worried anymore about the, something happening to me because all the records I kept have been filed uh, down at Roswell, New Mexico, you know, the UFO capital of the world, if you will. So there, my records and the files and the, and the documents and everything are all in their, their vaults. And uh, if you want to find out, contact them. All right. So I'm excited about uh, helping to try to get the everything forward. And but we're, now I'm calling the full disclosure. Let's get the truth out to everybody. With that, I'll shut up and now let you call me. Well, I wanted Bill. Bill, if you don't mind bringing Ken into the open walk, and then we have Mike from Singapore. He's one of our regulars and has been for the last couple of years. He really listened to us from the beginning, but he just couldn't make himself known. He's in communication and helping over in Singapore with all the communications around the world. So there's a lot of guys Mm -hmm. in let me explain, Ken. You remember back when you worked with a lot of government people, but you couldn't really get, go out and be on, like, shows and radio shows, and then all of a sudden you went and and you started in 1995. Well, that still goes on in other countries, and I've, I, I'll let you talk to Mike in a few minutes, but he can't okay. be real out there, even though we may know who he is in one level of like national or what would they call it, in communications, you know what I'm saying? But mm-hmm. uh, anyway, so he's here. But you just think about it before you got with – now, uh, Bill, Ken Johnston mm-hmm. came out with Ken, with the man on Mars, so to speak, uh, and I need you to talk to him, if you will, uh, because I would like to get through this thing where we were covering up walking on the moon at least your opinion. I was there during the NASA days in the 60s, and so was Kent. And now we're called whistleblowers because we're sharing parts that maybe people didn't know. But I say if if it's out there and people should know it and probably do, we're just piecing the pieces together. And I'm not talking about Antarctica, but I'm mm-hmm. talking uh, – about what we know, and maybe it's a little bit of Linda, Linda Moulton Howe, a little Richard Dolan, a little Dr. Sala, and a little uh, Dr. Stephen Greer. But all of those are researchers, investigators, just like we are. It's just we come way, way back, and uh, so does Daryl Sims and Dr. Bruce McAbee with us. But, Bill, while Ken's here, and we never know how long we're going to have anybody because my husband's already passed and had quite a lot to share – what would you like to ask Bill, and how can we bring him into this open walk? Because I want you all to talk about that movie. Was it Sidney Pollock or something? Because Ken was grilled by somebody that's on YouTube now. And, uh, Ken, you may want to share that. Remember when he was asking about the movie that was made in case we didn't walk on the moon? Bill, do you know um, what I'm talking about? Okay, so the maybe is that alluding to the moon hoax theory? Yes. The supposed conspiracy theory that we never really went to the moon is all staged. Yeah, I actually wrote an extensive article about that, which I titled, Moon Hoax Theory is Itself a Hoax. Because I really see it that way. You know, uh, we did go to the moon. There's no question about that. And in fact, pretty much all the science you can, you can point at, these alleged things they claim to be proof of the fact that we didn't, it all just amounts to people who are ignorant about real science. Uh, right. Time and time again, we see that. You know, their their arguments are extremely spurious at best. Uh, 
And uh, but I think there has been a political agenda. You know, the the first time that that moon hoax theory aired on television as a documentary, uh, it was on Fox, and uh, I think that's significant. Uh, I see time and time again, you know, they're pushing ideas that are clearly false, and it's, it's like a propaganda machine trying to convince us of something, and they've unfortunately succeeded with a lot of people. You know, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned uh, Dr. Stephen Greer. I saw him on a documentary talking about the moon hoax theory like he accepted it was real. And I oh, can't yeah. understand why he would. It's so obviously fake. You talk about fake news. That's some fake news right there. That moon hoax theory. Uh, seriously fake. And, uh, and I really do believe that the people, the, the initial proponents were people who knew better, who were essentially lying. And, uh, and they fooled a whole lot of people. And so now the people who continue to perpetuate the moon hoax theory, they're like pawns. Pawns of those people who pre- created a lie. Uh, that that's basically the way I see the moonlight theory. Okay. Um, so Ken, how do you, well, how do you view? <laughs> there was a movie made, right, Ken? There was a movie made in case they didn't walk on the moon, and I was hoping yeah. you could talk about how we we you know you were you were asked about that and. Uh, uh, do you know about the guy? It's it's out on YouTube, but it was such a good close deal. But you said you could tell the difference, and of course I could tell, and some people oh, can. Yeah. The moon. Uh, but do you remember the name of the uh, gentleman that put it out? I could uh, okay. any other time. About, actually, I um, oh, gosh, I don't know where to begin with all this. Let, let's go back to the beginning, and that is that um, we all had to have top secret clearances, and I had. I had my total top secret clearance, and I sat in meetings even with Warner von Braun and, and some of the top people, and you know we we didn't even talk about the, um, stuff that might not might be already on the moon. We just stayed focused on what we thought we were being the very first one. We were in a big race with the Russians to be the first ones to get out there. So I'll, I'll get back to that a little bit later whenever I finally have, have come to grips with the fact that. Uh, there may have been other things going on. Now, uh, once we had, uh, we were all set to go ahead and land on the moon, and there was this, we had the, um, there was an Astro Dome there in Houston, which was one of the very first ones built, and uh, they, this was before it was um, released to the public, and uh, you, you may have to help me with the, the name on this thing here, uh, uh, Teresa. Um, what was it? <laughs> We we called it that particular program because there were hundreds of us, all of us that were. Are you talking about the Apollo missions? I don't know which ones. You're no, I'm talking, talking about, about. I'm talking. Well, I'm talking about the Apollo missions and um, oh, what, the yeah. People, forgive me just a minute, but unfortunately, I am the, the result of people trying to use their cell phone while they're driving, and um, mm. we stop at T intersection, and this woman doing it. Coming around the corner on her cell phone and rear-ended us, and I wound up with a little bit of uh, damage, and I have to occasionally find out, okay, what were we just talking about, and then I can get back into, into scope. So it's really frustrating. I'm only 77, so I've still got a long well, way to go. Anyway, 
the Apollo yeah. program, we had it from 60, uh, well, program duration, actually, 1960 to 1972, right. okay? So right. uh, in right. between there, the humans going to the moon, most of us know that it's true, but they're the ones that you were, you and I were probably involved in, I know was 1969, and you worked with uh, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin and Jim Lovell and Gus Grissom, Alan Shepard. I know all those names. All of them. Yeah, so, all of them. Yes. Yeah. So uh, we were during that period, folks, and he and I were in the buildings. Building one is the one a lot of you may have gone to when you visited. Uh, right. And our, oh, yeah. had been given uh, talks, but it was designed for humans to land on the moon, and a lot of us believe that the uh, Kennedy had put that out to everybody. Why am I, why am I picking myself up? I'm looking to see if I have any more t- phones on. But uh, Ken helped train the astronauts uh, during the space race. And uh, it was really to get there. Soviet Union has set up Sputnik. And uh, prior to that, we can talk about uh, World War II, but we really did have helped the world building up the planet again after World War II, Korean War. And uh, the Soviet Union and, and we were in competition, what we called the space race, and then ongoing in the Cold War. So landing on the moon... That was pretty important, and, it, and it, it was it was very famously quoted that we were going to the moon. In his uh, in President John F. Kennedy's speech in 1962, so President Kennedy has become a mainstay and a big uh, seller at the conferences, especially with Jim Mann. Uh, he he was big in Texas, where uh, but where all of us were. And he was a great researcher, and I've got him on Ericop. And he was working with some other friends of mine in uh, publishing and all that. But just the fact that the world, the world that he was wanting to create, uh, was becoming controversial. Competing, but uh, we were competing for um, space, I guess one might say. But in the, the Soviets. Now, they sent an unmanned spacecraft to the moon in uh, roughly 19 – well, they say 1959, but unless we were up there in space, we don't know. So don't we take that for granted? But I did see Sputnik myself. I think that was 1957, but, Bill, you can look that up. So we don't know why people – but I've asked Ken to help me establish, and any of you engineers that worked during those days – I worked with TRW friends and Grumman friends and uh, Frank Borman with – why did I just go blank? Ken, I'm doing it too, (laughs) but uh, okay. So you and I need to – I guess between the two of us and and, uh, Bill here, we'll figure this out. People want us to talk about this, okay, but there was a filmmaker that talked about it, uh, but he he was Aaron Rainin. He directed and produced Did We Go, which made it controversial. And uh, Jack White, he's gone now. He was a photo historian. Uh, he, he tried to approve forgery in photos, 
and uh, the Zapruder film about the John F. Kennedy. And I think conspiracy theories, I don't know if they were before John F. Kennedy, but I didn't have the Internet to refer to back then. So it takes a lot of research to go back and look at that. But Ken worked during the Apollo missions and uh, helped a lot of people. But Ken, you worked with all the film industry, and I think how you wound up doing these UFO conferences was not only did you train with the astronauts and train them and use the suits, just because you were you didn't go up out of into space, you we're going to get into that. But we have various people that know that Apollo missions, and you got to be helping the children in education and the Air Force in all your experience. You have been instrumental in setting the record straight in public relations for many of the old guys, okay, and working with Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, Jim Lovell, Gus, they would know who you are, uh, Alan Shepard, all those people. So the the point is I was trying to make is there's all kind of people, including some great moviegoers, and in conspiracy theories, Bill, there was one guy in particular I was trying to get to that got very well known for the conspiracy theory, and uh, you, you talked about it uh Dr. Ken Johnston Jr. I just can't remember what the guy's no, name senior. was now, but one of the senior. And now you were at the. Let me let me help you this way. When you were at the contact in the desert, a gentleman put you on film uh, as a whistleblower. Do you remember him doing that? It's on YouTube now. Oh, are we talking NASA. about way back in? Um, we would, that would have been about 19, oh, excuse me, 2000 and uh, 2002 or so. The Franklin contact in the desert used to be held way out in the desert, um, um, way way east of uh, of Los Angeles. Um, are you talking about that far back or a little bit more recent than that? Well, I believe it was it Stanley Kubrick that did the movie or yes, whatever, faking the right. landing. Thank you. And so there you go. It was yeah. okay. So Stanley Kubrick was the name I was looking for, I believe. Uh, He directed – okay, so are you looking – I was looking to see somebody grilled you about – he he may have been from U.K., but the fact that was that – was that fake? You didn't really go to the moon, and I go – so – and I get a real kick out of it because people say, well, that was just a big fake. You didn't go to the moon, et cetera, and everything else. I say, okay, well, I have a question for you. Um, have you um, seen some of the pictures coming from the satellites around the moon? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Now, have you seen where they, they photograph the landing spots for the Apollo you know, 11, 12, 14, 15, 16, and 17? They actually, they can actually zoom in and find the decent stage still sitting there on the moon? Well, uh, yeah. I said, then how did we get the decent stage landing there if we didn't go to the moon? And that usually sets mm-hmm. them up. So mm-hmm. uh, we have proof. Go ahead. What was that? Yeah, both. Okay. Uh, we, we have orbital uh, orbital satellites are out in orbiting the moon now. Uh, and, uh, in fact, the Chinese sent one up recently, or a few years back. Right. And, right. and you're right, the high-definition photos. If the Chinese are made, you can actually look at it. You can see those the, the legs of the limb left behind yep. on the moon. And uh, yep. I mean, it's real small, but you can still see that it's there. You know? and so you know, the physical proof is there that we went to the moon. It's, 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 it's indisputable. Yep. And, and, and before uh, somebody hears you and hears you say the legs, 
let's go back and you know the complete descent stage because it was a complete. Uh, it was the engine that fired that slowed them down and helped them actually land on the moon. Then when it was time for us to lift off and rendezvous with the command module, we used the descent stage, which also had all of the rovers and had all the equipment and everything in it for mm-hmm. the um, uh, moving for our um, going around on the moon and doing our, our uh, yeah steady yeah, picking yeah. up all the samples and everything else. So then once we fired. The ascent stage, we didn't have the descent stage on the lunar surface and then went into lunar orbit and rendezvoused with the command module and then made our, our transition back to uh, the planet Earth. So, so if you say just the legs, I'd think people think, oh, well, there's a bunch of legs later out on the lunar surface. But no, it was the whole complete descent stage. Yeah, they, had stage they had to leave a lot of stuff there because you know, they couldn't take those. Oh, yeah. Like you say, the rovers, they couldn't take those back with them. That was far too much weight. But. Uh, no. So, yes, a lot of that stuff was left. And we can yeah, see we, a lot of people... Nuts. Go, go ahead. ahead. I was going to say... We, well, I was just... Um, go ahead. <laughs> we'll get it right we, in a minute, we had folks. An astronaut, we, we had an astronaut get into trouble because he kept the um, uh, his... Um, his his camera that nor- normally would mount on the front of his of the uh, spacesuit while he was on the lunar surface, and this was... Um, Oh come on and help me on the guy's name. It was Apollo 17. He was the the commander, and he had his own own um, uh, his whole program where everybody uh, would contact on on him. And now he's passed away. Doggone it, uh, Edgar Mitchell. There you go. That's not Edgar, Mitchell. Edgar Mitchell. Right. He got into trouble because he he didn't. Uh, they one of the things they had to do is to to lighten up the weight of the ascent stage of the lunar module so that they could do the rendezvous on the command module. So things that weren't needed anymore, such as the cameras and uh, all, a lot of the other equipment and extra things that they took to the moon, those were thrown out the uh, front door, if you want to call it that, the front hatch, uh, onto the lunar surface to lighten the weight because then we had all the weight of the lunar samples that we were bringing back. So, yeah, Edgar Mitchell got in a great deal of trouble, and they tried to the 16-millimeter camera that was um, used to film the, the actual the final descent stage and, and landing, and then uh, of, out through the main window of the uh, lunar module pilot, which is the right-hand side when you're looking forward inside the rim. Um, so, but that, that's in now in uh, what Edgar Mitchell did is he, he, he instead of you know, keeping it, he, he had it put with Smithsonian, and it is now part of the um, stuff that's at Smithsonian. So, um, it's sometimes dangerous when you start going against the the plan, and now we look back and see all of the stuff that was going on behind our backs, and no wonder that they were a little concerned that we might uh, leave, give too much information out that people would then start questioning, did we really go? And uh, then you've got the, uh, the film that Kubrick had to do. We were concerned about... Um, being able to land on the moon and be ahead of Russia because of the Cold War going on. And so Kubrick was, was asked to create a, a landing on the moon and the time on the moon. And then, uh, uh, the, then on the way coming back, there would have been a disaster and the guys would have perished on the way coming back. It, um, we would have won the race. Well, they were doing but, a mock-up. Do you remember, do you remember yeah. the word mock-up? And uh, mm-hmm. I think it was Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong that was checking around, but they had the film for mock-up and for testing, and they used that for photos and things. There was a lot of reasons they did sure. that. And I guess Stanley Kubrick was, was chosen to help, okay. but 
you know, we had, what do you think? What's your inside? Now, you were in the developing, uh, tell people what you did. Uh, so you had the film, and uh, his aerospace engineer went through a whole bunch of the equipment with the suits and all of that, and his brother worked right. there at NASA. You'd had to been there to see, there was a lot of kind of training things, and but, uh God, I remember so much that when they would be testing. And remember all the patches. There was a different patch for everything. But I think the Stanley Kubrick thing and mock-ups. And, folks, we had all kind of mock-ups for everything you could imagine on the Apollos. There was Apollo 11, 12, 14, 15, 16, and 17. Six of the missions that achieved the goal. But seven and nine, they were orbited, orbiting missions to test seven, the command and lunar and modules. 13. Seven, ten, and You're thirteen. Right. I was actually okay, the so test director. I was actually the test director for the the TM5, which was primarily the research stage over in building. Oh, I probably get it wrong. Fourteen, I think it is, uh, at NASA and the Johnson Space Center. And my job was to have the decent stage configured for each mission. And you know, starting off with the first one with Apollo 11, uh, and I had Neil and Buzz, uh, uh, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin, uh, in their spacesuits coming out uh, from the, down the ladder and uh, simulating what it would be like on the lunar surface and going around how we could set up all the ALSEP, that's the Apollo Lunar Surface Experiment Package uh, equipment. And um, so that's how we trained them to be able to, to set up the, the seismi- seismograph equipment and as well as the, um, oh, geez, photographing just about everything going on outside of the, the, the lunar module sitting on, on the So. That was I was the test director of that, and um, so that kind of put me right in the middle of everything. And uh, I did that for um, the Apollo 11, and oh no, wait a minute, I have to correct that. I, I did help the training on the Apollo 12, but then as soon as we landed on the moon, I was on vacation while they were headed to the moon. And when when I got back um, right after uh, Apollo 11 had landed on the moon. I went into the office and I said, "Okay, well, what are we going to do next?" And he says, "I hate to tell you, but while you were gone, you're you're we're, we're no longer doing research and development. We're doing routine flights to the moon. So y- your position has been canceled. So I was without a job. And the, the next day, I went over to the Lunar Receiving Laboratory. I became the the um, director of the lunar um, sample information. Yeah, the I was in charge of all of this, not the samples, but the, uh, where they were shipped to." And all of the um, the, baggage, uh, the the documents and the, uh, all of the samples that were brought back, I, I was right there with all of it. So I had direct contact with them. We, we get into a little bit more of what I did, unless TJ, you want me to tell them how we wound up being able to keep some of the information out there to the rest of the world. Sure, I can go into sure, that. Sure, because the, well, the open walk the is going to be about. Yeah, go ahead. Is that okay with you, well, Bill? That, the open sure, walk. Yeah, Let him yeah. share some information. Mm-hmm. Good. Well, they're at, at the Lunar Receiving Laboratory um, and, and data and photo control department. That was where I was the director of that. And I had, I had um, from the photo lab, I had copies. I said I had five complete sets of, of all, every mission and all of the 16 millimeters and the um, uh, 70 millimeter Hasselblad pictures, as well as. Um, uh, all of the communications um, from mission control to the astronauts while they were in flight, as well as being there. So I was had control of that material in my data and photo control department in my filing cabinets, and then I got the direction says, uh, 
Is it okay to say the people's names or not, TJ, even if they passed on? I don't know. If they Somebody passed, me, but... I, I guess, uh, you know, we all have our own life story, and if you lived it, yeah. I don't. That people want to know. I, Bill, how do you feel on the no. open walk? Just go ahead and say it, right? I mean, yeah. his story. Yeah. Okay. That's well, now, go ahead. I'm listening. Okay. Hey, well, I'm going to go ahead with it. Anyway. Yeah. We had um, um, the contractor that was in charge of the the laboratories at the Lunar City Laboratory. Um, we we had you know we we were not actual NASA employees we were contractors and uh, Bud Lascala who was my uh, supervisor in the management of of that and uh, he came in and says okay Ken get rid of all but one set and I go wait a minute you know we these I've got five sets of everything he says says no get rid of it we don't need them we just need one and, and I said we, we have government we have we have universities and places, and it's paid for with our, our government, uh, or with our tax money that came from everybody. I said, you know, we can use these. these universities could use them. He says, get rid of everything. And then here's the key that I use. He says, I don't care what you do, but get rid of all but one set. And that was what I used as my authorization. I took of my five sets, I took three sets, and I dumped them in the back of the literacy lecture in the density dumpsters. And I just dumped in there. Later on, uh, there, were, there was a woman who did discover and find a bunch of those and saved a bunch of pictures. But those were dumped there. That left me with two, so I kept one for the uh, the five embassies so that uh, visitors could go through and pull up certain pictures, original pictures that that did, hadn't been photoshopped because we didn't have photoshopping back in those days. So those were still available. And that fifth set, because it said, "I don't care what you do, just get rid of them." I uh, put in a, a duffel bag and fix them all up, and that night when I had to work overtime, I'd put them in my truck, uh, my car, and I took them home, and i put them in the, in, the, in the closet for several years, quite a few years before, well, actually, no, it went a lot longer than that, excuse me, that would have been in, that would have been in, um, so we landed on the moon in 1969, that would have been in 1972, seven, you know, 72, and whenever I saved those, and then uh, by 1980, whenever Things wound down, and I wound up leaving the whole space program and went to work for the Boeing company as a, a Boeing 737 flight instructor. I still had all of these things, and I had to keep things safe. I, I was lucky to find a big double door filing, uh, not filing, um, safe, a big, you know, hard safe that you, know, you can't get into. And um, I'm going to hit this real fast. Um, a bike guy by the name of Richard C. Hoagland, which was talking about. Uh, not on the moon, but in Mars and the face on Mars and those things. Uh, he was giving a, a talk in Seattle, Washington, where Boeing is. And uh, there was a group of us at Boeing. We called ourselves we called ourselves the Majestic 12, too. And, and we didn't have cell phones. We couldn't didn't have emails and things like that. We had we had to have the actual documents. We put them in inner office mailing envelopes, and those would then go to the different people. So this little group of us, we kept in touch with each other and every time we'd hear something new we'd send each other the little messages and the guys told me he says oh this richard hogan's going to be in seattle and he's giving a talk you ought to get in there and i wasn't uh, teaching a flight crew that night so i wrote out a little letter of introduction and said that uh, you know who i was and that i'd been the data photo control director etc and i had an archive that i'd kept that whole series that that archive if you want to call it that 
And I went to the meeting, and I went in to check in, and uh, the woman there, I was getting ready. Oh, I said, oh, give this to Mr. Hoagland. And she looked at my, my letter of introduction that I wrote, and she just started shaking up. She said, you're who we've been looking for. And I'm thinking, uh-oh, secret clearance, I am in trouble. He came in and came out, and just before they started trolling, had me go in and sit down and listen to the whole program. And then they came to my house the next day, and I pulled open the, uh, the big safe and pulled everything out. And they were amazed because they had been looking at generation after generation after generation of, gen- of photos and pictures. It was kind of hard to be able to see what was there. And when they were looking at the first generation pictures, they were going wild about what some of the basic bases and things that we're looking at. So that's kind of like where I wound up with coming forward, even with the clearance and the concern. And his his position was, he says, you know, we need to get you protected so that you're not going to be bumped off or something happened to you. So he, in, uh, then two weeks later, he was scheduled to go to the uh, National Press Club in Washington, D.C. for you know, the other countries around the world that wanted to hear about the face on, on Mars as well as other things. And so he had me go as kind of a surprised person there. And I came forward and, and presented information and later wound up at uh, Roswell and the, um, um, the research research center and la- uh, laboratory at the, uh, uh, yeah, the Roswell UFO um, place. So that's how I wound up getting there. He said, by going forward, you know, and, and telling where the information everything went, he says, then they have to take care of you and, and keep you safe because if you get bumped off, and everybody's going to say, okay, what happened? What did you guys do to Ken Johnston? And thank God I'm still alive, and uh, that's why I was able to keep keep the records and information. And I still have access to the original stuff. So, very good. That kind of brings you up to date to where we are right now, I think, and that lets you take All right, Bill, you want to draw him in? Do you know who Ken You You sort of know who Ken is, don't you? Yes, uh, he yeah, I remember when you interviewed him before, and, uh, and of course last night as well. Uh, yes, and that's a cool story. <laughs> I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm glad you preserved those those photos. It's uh, yeah. good that, that they got saved like that, and uh, and I'm sure there are a lot of details on those photos that. Uh, this show, like you, I think you've talked about before, that uh, we see evidence that uh, at least somebody's been there before, uh, human or perhaps otherwise, and uh, they've left definitely left traces behind. Um, well, I want to I want to mention the Beyond the Matrix, a 5D ascension experience in Sedona, Arizona, folks. That's uh, different. That is a 5D experience. They do it on by TV Presents, uh, a 5D Ascension experience. Now, that's different from MUFON, Mutual UFO Network. But they're going to have uh, uh, one of our friends, Ken, Brad Olson, okay? And uh, there's a lot of other people. And, uh, Bill, we're going to need you to start speaking at some of these conferences to help draw in uh, the difference between fiction and science fiction and consciousness and ascension age and uh, the difference. So I'd like you to uh, look into that because uh, beyond the matrix of 5D ascension in Sedona, Sedona is known as sort of the new age woo-woo community. Uh, Bill, is there a better way to explain that, although it is beautiful? And uh, we have some beautiful experiences there, including me, and sort of Mm -hmm. the crystal group. And when... 
I have some other things I could talk about, but not on this show about that. But, uh, you know, working with Universal Source and all the, all the, you know, what you talk about in the open walk, I really need you to help us get clear on the differentiation between what we experience in 3D reality and what they're talking about in all these other realities and dimensions that other people may not experience when they go into their inner self or do remote viewing. And all of this is getting very confused. It's that time. And I've got UFOlogy 101 group that I invite anybody that feels like they can train others in UFOlogy to join. It's up UFOlogy 101. I've got UFO Secret Space Group. I'm going to I have Ascension Center Group. I have so many groups that I'm going to have to bring together. I just don't have any time, Bill. And you've got the open walk, but I'd like you to invite Ken Johnston to it and tell people real quickly. We're going to get off the air in here in a few minutes, but tell Ken how to get there or on, on Facebook. And uh, have you got Ken as a friend, Bill? I need to get you with friends with him. Yeah, I don't think we are. We will. Uh, Yeah, you know, ironically, a lot of what I wrote in the past in in article form, uh, I used to uh, publish articles with this place called Tryon. It was a website that that did that. And uh, unfortunately, they went out of business. But I had a lot of articles I wrote back then that uh, are more in alignment with uh, with the in- information that Ken is, is talking about tonight. Uh, for instance, I wrote an article about UFO cover-up, why, and in which I talk about the 1960 Brookings Report, which talked right. about the idea that when we would go to the moon or to Mars or other places in, in the solar system, the question of whether or not we might find ancient extraterrestrial artifacts and the the Brookings Report you know considered that possibility even in 1960 before we ever went to the moon and and in their report they recommended that if we do find artifacts of that sort when we go to the moon then it should be covered up and not exposed to the public Uh, because they feared there would be too much too strong a reaction uh, I think they underestimate well, the sensibilities of people, and they certainly underestimate my sensibilities. I would like to know. You know, I want to know, and I think the people have the right to know. If they found alien artifacts, they should tell us. We should. We have the right to know about. And yeah. I think oh, what you're wow. suggesting, Ken, is that we did find stuff, didn't we? Well, the the Brookings Institute. That came out, and part of it was, was, and I'm pretty sure the reason for their decision to not make it public, because of the War of the Worlds, um, that that um, radio mm-hmm. program, no, in 1938 or something like that, that came out, yeah. and uh, talked, and and, it, and he put on such a good program about the War of the Worlds and how the aliens had just landed and they were killing people, and people panicked. Some people jumped off the top of buildings and committed suicide because they they didn't want to mm-hmm. be uh, killed by aliens. And so um, um, the decision was there is that we as a, a species, we weren't yet ready to accept mm-hmm. the fact that we aren't alone in the universe. There are other sentient intelligent beings around. So that's what we were dealing with when we got to the Apollo program is that, okay, mm-hmm. how are we going to keep anything we find secret? And that's, mm-hmm. that's how that all got started. And, uh, it's, and, now, and now the biggest problem is 
getting past that and getting out to where we can make it all public that yes, there's we we discovered other things on the moon as well as on Mars, and that um, you know it's it's time that we take our place in the universe mm-hmm. of, of uh, intelligent uh, species, uh, species. So uh, that kind of yeah. covers where our UFOs can become more and more public. Exactly. And I uh, indeed. Well, I can you Go ahead. We've got just a few more minutes, but go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. You read an article? Furthering on that subject, uh, ever since 1938, the way that we've changed, you know, and I've looked at various polls over the years about how people feel about it, ranging from 1947 all the way up to 2002 when I wrote the article, so it's it's been a while. But, uh, you know, you can see those percentages steadily increasing to the point to where more and more people believe, more and more people understand. I think we are ready now. That's the point I'm making. Absolutely. We can see that progress ever since then. And, that, and, uh, and, that's, and you know, another thing to consider about the 1938 broadcast, that was talking about aliens attacking the Earth. And that's why a lot of people panicked. You know, it was all about yeah. an attack. You know, if, if, if we reveal something like archaeological evidence of something that happened long, long time ago, these aliens aren't around anymore, it's not a threat. That sort of information should be released because that's not going to create that kind of panic. No, it won't. Mm-hmm. Oh, there will still be there'll still be pockets of people that uh, and their religion won't even allow them to accept it. <laughs> we have any intelligence at all. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's, it is time for the full disclosure, and, and I'm really excited about being a part of and that the records and things that I kept are part of what's been needed, and we're going to be pushing it out to the public. It's, it's time now for the people like us that were involved with it need to come forward and uh, put that information available because then you've got the documentation and proof of what's been going on that we are we are part of, and we have been in contact with ever since Eisenhower and, and the voice. But that's going to take a long time for us to get into, uh, TJ, and we look forward to talking about that sometime. All right. right. Well, I would like you to join us, UFO 101, uh, Bill, and you're in UFO Secret Space, aren't you? Oh, you're already a member of UFO 101. Uh, Let me see. uh, Let me see if uh, Ken, Ken, I don't think you're in UFO 101, but I'm going to put you in there. It's an older. Ken Johnston. Okay, friends since 2017. Okay, you're in there. <laughs> but uh, I never know where you're going to be, Ken. You're like me. You never know where you're going to be. But uh, maybe you guys can help us write the book, Ufology 101, to separate. We need alienology, cosmology, pyramidology, epistemology, phenomenology, all the ologies. Uh, uh, you know how you did the isms for us, Ken? I need you to do the ologies for us <laughs> in, in Ufology 101. Uh, and it's for research and ufologists and experience up-to-date people, you know, people, places, and things interested in conscious awakening. And uh, most recent founder, Director Javier Sandoval, he had the Ufology 101 and organizer, entrepreneur, social networker interested in promoting events. I made that for him to promote events and plans. So uh, I, I made that, but I think I'm going to swap that over. I'll put his picture up there. And then he didn't work much with me. He went off to Sedona and made his own little place, and so I may have to rewrite that. But anyway, it's supposed to be for events and plans and 
sharing people that wanted to get more involved with ufology and it's really a group type for instance but i'm making change i've got events and plans so we can make events and plans in there and uh, bill you know just think about it you've got me now what was the other one galaxy ufo yeah there's galaxy ufo all right we've got ufology 101 folks and galaxy ufo but ufo secret space seems to get a lot but uh, come back and see us the open walk let me just tell you uh it, it's it's uh, with Bill. You'd be better at talking about it. You just tell them real quickly how to get to the open walk and who can join that. Well, the yeah, open the group walk. Is simply called the opened walk. It's opened in past tense. Got the ed on it. Uh, yeah, that's the name of the group. If you just go to a group search on the opened walk, you'll find it. But uh, I was just looking at the groups here at Facebook. I'm trying to find that one you were just talking about. Uh, I'm, I'm a member of a great many groups here, <laughs> probably too many. Uh, so Ufology 101, I'm trying to find it. But, uh, but yeah, um, yeah, really the open walk, the subject matter is a little different than what we're talking about right now, but, uh, but it's still, you know. It'll fit in there because we do cover it, and open walk should be about anything. It should be more than just my UFO secret space. and uh, But he, you did say it was a philosophy. And Ken, yeah. I mean, John missed, um, yeah, Ken Johnston missed that in the beginning, Ken. Yeah. Uh-huh. But okay. we can bring in all of our friends into there. I probably should start at the well, UFO 101 so I can get educated and start at the beginning. <laughs> <I'm ready. laughs> well, you're working uh, on the other side, too, because uh, something else, I, I want your help in research investigation on, or at least journalist investigation or investigative reporting bill, is the fact that what's happened to all these UFO conferences that are bringing in pa- uh, re- wanting therapists, uh, it's the mental health area. For those that are doing past life regressions is one level, and that's fine because uh-huh. I believe in that in reincarnation. That's one track. But the other track is they bring in the therapist after Bud Hopkins mm-hmm. to separate the contactees from the abductees from the experiencers, mm-hmm. those three things. I need you to work on that like you did in our, one of our last books. But we're out of ta- time, folks. So, Ken, we will see you again. Uh, do not forget. Thursday night for uh, right here, and I'll try to remind you. So you're going to do Thursday and maybe Friday and Saturday. That's three nights a week. But uh, this okay. night, Saturday, is is Bill's and the open walk. So we're going to let him take the lead on that, and you can help me and Janet on Thursdays, Ken. And then Friday, Ken, is uh, more just your space stuff and more of the mechanics. So, uh, folks, that's sort of the way I see it in my mind. If you've got some ideas, please get in touch with Agency at gmail.com and let me know. And look for our YouTube. You can go back and listen to this right here at TJ Mars ET Radio or on American Communications Online. That's ACO, the acronym, or the, and then American Communications Online spelled out. On YouTube. So, Ken, that's where we'll be. Bill, that's where we'll be. Bill, you know where to find it. And, uh, Bill, if you can get in touch with Mars One Astronaut, real easy to remember. Mars One spelled out astronaut at gmail.com for Ken. Spelled out O N E for one. 
Mars One Astronaut. Mars One Astronaut. All spelled out. Okay. All right. It's time for full disclosure. All of the folks out there, it's time for full disclosure. Come forward now. There's keywords. And uh, yeah, Bill, write that down. Exopolitics, disclosure, uh, of course, open source, open the open walk. And uh, then the other keywords, ascension, which you know we used. And now we've got ufology 101 and pyramidology, phenomenology, cosmology, alienology, and helping uh, Daryl Sims with alienology. And I told him we were going to call him the first alienologist. And back in the day, I helped get ufologists going, and, and, and uh, so did a lot of other people, because people wouldn't accept it. I don't know if it was because we've been working under uh, the old – old school or the old flying saucers to the UFOs, to the UAP and the USOs and all that stuff. But there's a huge history out there of people doing the work and not just anthropologists. So keep that in mind, folks. You can all be great writers, great authors, great researchers, and uh, we're interested in helping and just get in touch. Bill M. Tracer, folks, Bill M. Tracer at gmail.com. Ken Johnston Sr. is Mars1Astronaut at gmail.com, and yours truly, Teresa J. Morris at gmail, or Teresa J. Morris. I like T.J. Morris. Agency is my main uh, with Gmail. I've got all kind of Facebooks out there, groups, pages, you name it. We were working really hard with Google and Facebook to get the word out. So please remember the opened walk tonight, and we have to change the names on these shows, Bill. Because uh, when we load them up all over, they need to be significantly different. <laughs> so remember that. So we're going to have to come up with a system like one, two, three, four, or something. Or talk, uh, give me the topics you want to talk about or whatever we're going to lead off with. But we'll work on that offline if that's okay and get back together with you later. Just give me a okay. call during the week. And- Ken, you too. You got my phone number, and uh, you've got my phone number. If not, I'm a very public figure out there, folks, helping get this uh, ascension age out there. But now some people, Bill, are not into the spiritual science or the consciousness mm-hmm. or the ascension. And, uh, these, you know, the, we've been working how many years now since 2012 on all of that. Now, Janet's mm-hmm. really concentrating on uh, SSP our secret space program only. And that's mm-hmm. sort of a take off of the uh, breakaway civilization, Ken, with Richard Dolan. I, it may have all been out there for many, many years. I would say it was back to World War II and 33 and the real, because the, if you want to be honest, the real started the secret space program. I mean, that's just history. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wouldn't you agree? That's true. Yeah. And then the Ken, we'll get together. Okay. Uh, both of y'all. That's, just, yeah. I tell you, it's ahead. like slap. SLAP sounds like a plan, and I'm ready. Let's do it. <laughs> okay. And I, Ken, I sent you a friend request on Facebook. I found you. Okay. But you didn't in the uh, astronaut, you didn't in the uh, suit, right? The environment oh, suit. Oh, yeah. With the helmet yep. off. Yeah. Well, I, I sent okay. a friend request. Just remind me so I can get my brain zapped back into the right thing there, and I appreciate that, and looking forward to working with you. All righty. Okay, Bill, send him a Gmail, please, and you, uh, you will read your Gmails, won't you, Ken? You check yes. your Gmail daily? 
I do. All right. Send him all your pertinent information uh, for the Open Walk in Ufology 101. And, folks, uh, we hope you'll help us in epistemology and uh, theology and uh, universal life. And tomorrow is Sunday, and if you want to talk spirituality with me tomorrow, we'll probably meet 6 to 8, and, uh, unless you've got a better program going on uh, or you want to do it earlier. So, Ken, if you can... You can come back tomorrow evening uh, after you fed the horses. We may make it seven to nine. I don't know, but Ken, let me uh, know, and and Bill, I don't want to tear wear you guys out, but uh, a spiritual show uh, discussing a lot more that we haven't discussed tonight, and definitely come back on Thursday. Wait, this isn't Thursday. This is Saturday. Saturday, no Thursday with Janet, Carolus, and me, and Ken for UFO Secret Space. This is the way I have it planned. That's for Thursday. Friday with Ken Johnston and me, and Bill may come. I don't know, but we're going to ask him. And then Saturday is the open walk, and Bill's going to help us a lot more. And, Bill, come back and get all these questions that are on here for this week and see if we can put them in a book or whatever, a little tabloid or something, would you? Because we probably didn't answer all the questions I asked already. All right. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Ken. Ken, give us a call tomorrow when you feed the horses. Come back and check. All right. Here we go. Good night. Bye-bye.